Hello one and all and whether you're joining me here on YouTube for my very first episode of A Healthy Dose of Fran or tuning in again on SoundCloud to another episode of my soon to be building portfolio of reviews and other things that I may be doing. Uh, welcome to another episode of A Healthy Dose of Fran. Um, so today I'm just going to get straight into it and today I will be reviewing Incredibles 2 which came out about a week ago now here in the UK so I am a little bit late to the game for reviewing this film but I do have a little bit of a life surprise surprise um, so it has taken me a little bit of a while to get to this but I'm getting to it now so sit back relax and I'll get on with the podcast so I'm gonna start off first with the animation style with Incredibles 2 and considering we've been waiting 13 or 14 years for this film to come out you can tell they've put a lot of freaking hard work into this animation not only is the body shape the body styles the way in which the body moves with body language we will just general movement you can see that there has been so much effort put into behind and it it looks so realistic as well which is considering the first one was made in 2004 where animation was just it was good and it worked but in comparison to now there's just you can see how much has improved in the animation side of things and considering um my favorite aspect of the animation that i saw in this film is with the character violet who uh, is a teenager and is still a teenager from the first one without as there has been no time jump from the first film um, but I really liked that whether it was intentional or not that even in the first film though you could see like circles under her eyes in this film they're more prominent just because of the style of the animation and the, the better animation that it is I liked that you see these circles under her eyes because whether it is intentional or not, in my mind, her being an anxious, stressful teenage girl who has romantic issues and family issues and the world's against me sort of issues, seeing these circles under her eyes kind of gives her that sort of hum humanised effect for an animated character. And considering that she is a stressful and anxious person, these circles kind of makes sense because you do get dark circles under your eyes or sunkenness of your eyes when you are stressed and anxious so kind of seeing that was really really cool that they've continued that not only in the film but it's made it more prominent um so it brings out more of that characteristic in her um i mean i'm saying all this but I, if i'm honest i don't know crap about animation so whether i've whether anything I've said actually makes any sense that is something to be questioned so if I have made a slight cock up let me know in this in the comments below on YouTube or send me a message on SoundCloud and I'll try to improve my technique and knowledge in future for other reviews I may do in the, in the foreseeable future um, so I'm going to move on now to the kind of the content itself and the fact that there was a lot more focus in this film in comparison to the first on family dynamics and comedy um, and considering that this is a family film it's, it's about a family of supers I like that you've gotten this more of a focus on the family unit itself 
than you did in the first one where it was more about Mr. Incredible and his struggles of being normal in a way, not using his powers, but then going on to use his powers as we saw. So what I really liked about this is that in terms of the comedy aspect, it kind of balanced out the family values. You got this idea of what the family was like and how they work together. Because in a family, you have these comedic moments, you have moments of embarrassment and ridiculousness and just all out hilarity over situations that you can get yourself into or that a member of your family has gotten you into and so on and so forth. So the fact that these two kind of coincided with each other really worked for me and I enjoyed that the most. Um, I'm going to look at kind of comedy specifically in this sense, just because that was something that was very different, in my opinion, to the first film, as in this one, there was a lot of comedy use, there was a lot of inside jokes, general jokes, body humour and things like that. And I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed hearing the laughter of every single person in the cinema as we all laughed at everything that was going on. There was no comedic moment that kind of fell flat that you often see in some movies. So it was a nice experience. Um, so one of the comedic moments that I enjoyed was, again, something to do with Violet's character. And again, this is on the romantic side of her being an awkward teenager. Um, and it was particularly her awkwardness with Tony and in turn, the awkwardness that was brought on from a family member. Um, one example, which is my favorite of this entire film's comedy moments, is when Bob tries to help Violet out in terms of getting to know Tony a little bit more as he kind of had his memory wiped after seeing her in his costume and he's completely forgotten everything about her. So Bob's trying to make it up to Violet. And they go to where Tony works and Violet is completely unaware that Tony works here and that Tony's going to be there until Tony turns up at their table, sees her, she sees him after drinking some water and water shoots out of her nose in shock of seeing him there. And it, it was just every single person in the cinema burst out with laughter and it was just an amazing experience. I, it was so realistic in terms of like, when a young person, or even a person like my age, any age really, see someone that they like when they're not expecting it, and also just in general when they're really awkward, they would probably not shoot water out of their nose, but they would do something almost equally as embarrassing. Like, oh, I can't even think of an example, but just it's so realistic and it's such a dad thing to do as well to try and help his daughter out in probably the worst way that he could. But you can see that he's trying, which I think going alongside what I said before about the family dynamics and family focus, it kind of shows a little bit more of that as well. It's great. Um, another uh, comedic moment for me is when the three supers, so Frozone, Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible, are brought to this billionaire whose name I currently can't remember and I feel as if I should have written this down but oh well um, he's called them all to kind of help supers to uh, become legal again just because he absolutely loves supers and there's this whole backstory of because the supers were sent away 
his dad was killed in um, a house robbery thing. I don't remember what it's called in America. We just call it a robbery, I think, here in the UK. Again, I could be wrong because my knowledge on these things is not brilliant. Um, but yeah, so he's um, assembled these supers and he decides that Elastigirl is the best person for the job to kind of start to bring the realisation that supers are good for the community and for society and things like that. Um, and the reason he's come to this um, decision is because out of the three, she has caused loss, less money damages than anyone else with Mr. Incredible being the highest and would more than likely be, uh, what's the word? Uh, oh, I can't think of the correct word currently, probably because I don't even know what word I'm trying to think of, but basically he would bring in so much loss. He would be, uh, he would be a liability. That's what I was trying to say. He would be a liability because of the amount of damage he has caused in the past. Um, and what I found really funny about this, because in my head, that was like a nudge to the live action films of Marvel and DC, where, for example, in the, the first Avengers, where basically in the entirety of New York is destroyed and no one kind of really thinks wow yeah no we kind of really messed this up we should probably help New York to kind of fix itself and kind of help repair everything there's kind of like not a second thought about that and I like that they kind of brought this up that supers cause a mess they cause a lot of messes but Elastical has caused less messes so she's less of a liability. Um, so I enjoyed that aspect just because in my head, it was like the Incredibles were saying to Marvel and DC, guys, you've got to really think about the amount of destruction that your supers are doing because people are not going to like them anymore, which is kind of what they were saying in Incredibles 2 to Mr. Incredible, who causes a lot of damages. And as we saw in the first one, his first suing case was the reason why supers ended up you know, becoming illegal. So it, it was an ironic thing to both look back at uh, the first Incredibles film and how superhero films in general kind of look in terms of cost effectiveness and destruction and things like that. So that really did kind of make me chuckle um, at that possible reference. Um, moving on now to the family dynamic aspect. Now this is kind of one of my favourite things of this film. And it is showing the way in which this family works, especially from Bob's side of things as a new stay-at-home dad whilst the last girl, Helen, um, is going off to be the hero, whereas before that was him. Um, so we kind of see a lot of struggles and triumphs that Bob has as the stay-at-home dad. And we see that he struggles a lot at the start just because it's, He's never done it before. He's never really kind of been that involved with them, you'd think, from the way in which he acts with the children. Um, so it was kind of nice to see this this change. Um, and the fact that, although he was, I'd say, maybe slightly resentful of the fact that he wasn't the one out there, but he soon kind of began to embrace his role as the stay-at-home dad. Um, but my favourite moments that, um, 
some you see in the trailer and some are just for the film itself. Um, they both have comedic values and they're kind of really sort of touching, heartwarming moments. Um, and these are, so the first is the maths segment that we do see it in the trailer for Incredibles 2. Um, and it is literally when Dash, who always gets help from his mum for his maths homework, because he's not very good at maths, is getting his dad to help him out. And Bob is just doing it, just casually working it. And Dash tells him that's not the way they want us to do it. And Bob has this huge hissy fit about math is math, math shouldn't change and things like that. And considering my dad did the same thing when we were um, in school, it just kind of brought back a lot of family memories. And it just it made me laugh that there's such a realistic thing for a parent to do who's trying to help their kid with homework because it's so different now from when they would have been doing their homework and things like that. So it, it, was, got, it was a great moment to see that in the film. Um, another is, again, as I mentioned before, him trying to help while it was Tony. Again, it, like I said, it's a very dad thing to do to try and help and almost in a way make it worse, but then kind of fixed it in the end by not being too much in your face with it and kind of being a little bit more kind of mellowed in the way in which he helped. Um, and it, it was a nice thing to see kind of like their bonding as well as he tried to help and things like that. Um, and we do see that continue when Violet comes down and sees her dad sat kind of on the sofa, sort of sad and subdued. Um, and I don't remember his exact words, which is annoying because it's a really heartwarming moment. It kind of, kind of, you know, when you choke up and that sort of thing, that kind of got me where he talked about how he just wanted to be a good dad, but he felt like he was failing them just because math isn't math anymore he can't keep an eye on Jack Jack even ruined things with Violet and Tony and things like that and Violet kind of sees that her dad has been trying so hard and he is devastated that he's not doing as well as he wanted to be doing so she goes up and she kind of hugs him and she tells him you're not a good dad you're a great dad or something to that effect and it kind of that sort of family moment is kind of I think what was missing from the first Incredibles film. You don't really kind of get as much from that because there's so much going on throughout the film at that time that there isn't that availability for a family moment. Um, and as it was focusing a lot on Mr. Incredibles, Mr. Incredible moments, there isn't in general that availability to have these sort of family moments as there is now when he's not being Mr. Incredible, he's just being Bob. Um, so I really kind of appreciated seeing that moment in the film. I think it really worked, especially because we also see alongside this, Helen struggling being away from the children and not really knowing how to kind of separate herself from it and almost being constantly on edge because of the fact that she's not with her kids and a thing that she's been doing since she got married with uh, to Bob, really. She's constantly been a stay-at-home mum she's never really had a job before at least that's kind of what we get from hers and bob's talk when they're trying to find a way to kind of survive because neither of them have any jobs and they've got nowhere to live because of syndrome in the last film um 
yeah so it's it's really nice to see this family element kind of really brought to focus in this film and considering it is a family of superheroes it kind of it it was a really great thing to see um as i've talked about um helen elastigirl i'm just going to go on and just kind of speak a little bit more about her as this film kind of focuses a lot more on her character and her as elastigirl than it did in the first film and I think that's a really great thing because her character is a very, very interesting character. Um, we learned so much more about her abilities, what she used to do as a last girl, and the how many years ago since it was um, legal for superheroes to be about. And one of the coolest things that I I found out was that um, she had this thing called the Elas I think it was the Elasta bike. Um, and she was. This was given to her by the billionaire guy um, and his sister, who's kind of this behind-the-scenes designer person. Um, and what's really cool about the bike is that it detaches itself whilst you're riding, so she can stretch out her body. And she uses it to propel herself across buildings or wherever, and kind of get places faster in a way. And it was such an interesting concept because it's something you don't really see and well if it's been seen at all it for superheroes with these sort of abilities um so it was a really interesting thing to see just in general and the visuals for it as well while she was doing that for it was uh, during a chasing for a runaway train when we're about to be introduced to the main antagonist of this film um so I, it was just really interesting to see that and alongside this you also kind of get to grips a bit more about um, her as a person and her, not just her abilities but the way in which she thinks because alongside this you're also kind of learning her strategic abilities so um, when she's planning on what to do and where to go um, uh, in terms of dealing with this villain you see how she kind of thinks and understands how she should go about it so that's both instead of kind of like doing what bob did originally with like the robot for example um you see her thinking it, it, it how to approach each aspect of of a mission whether it be through stealth or kind of going in all guns, guns blazing depending on the situation each kind of moment was thought about um, and I think that's kind of what really worked for her characters that she's so different from what we know from the first film with uh, Mr Incredible and also kind of her in general from the first film so we see that she does have the strategic ability when it comes from uh, when it came to her um, helping Mr. Incredible escape and kind of finding out where he was and her deduction skills and things like that. We see it so much more in this film and I really, really appreciated that because we get to know more about her and her abilities and how everything was for her as a super. I think that's kind of what was missing a little bit more from the first film as it was more of a focus on Mr. Incredible and not kind of any of the other characters really. Um, so I really did enjoy that we got to see this aspect of her. Um, I am rambling a little bit 
now so I, I will stop and I'll move on to my next point which is the villain who uh, I'm trying to remember name of the villain at this point <laughs> uh, which is not good um, I'm just I'm having to look at the Wikipedia page so I really apologize for this uh, ah screenslaver screenslaver which I'm just gonna say is a really bad villain's name um, I don't know if that was the point, uh, considering I suppose Syndrome wasn't that great of a name either, but it wasn't as bad as this. Um, but Screenslaver is, and I've also got the names now because I'm on the Wikipedia page. So the billionaire uh, was Winston Dever, and his sister was Evelyn Dever. Now, Screenslaver, kind of, the whole reason behind it, like, he, he has a really good motivation, at least I think it's a good motivation. And it's that everyone is enslaved by technology, so by their televisions, by phones. And I suppose considering this is, uh, I feel like it, uh, this kind of film is set in maybe like 60s, 70s America. I'm just going by kind of like some of the technology that they have, which is kind of not same level as the things that we have now it did surprise me a little that it was about like being enslaved to screens considering there weren't that many sort of screens to be enslaved by other than television and maybe phones i i, I don't know if they i couldn't can't remember if there were any flip phone flip phones or anything then um or in the film but um, it did surprise me a little, but I understood the motivations behind it because looking at it from this modern perspective, people are, I guess, enslaved to screens because everything is done on a screen. For example, this right here, although not for SoundCloud, so I guess you kind of get away with that if you're listening on SoundCloud. Um, but the motivation behind it kind of made sense and it wasn't, it wasn't a bad motivation and it was an interesting thing especially from a modern perspective but when the identity of the screenslaver was revealed um this being evelyn dever the billionaire sister um the reason for her becoming screenslaver and doing all these things became very superficial and not as interesting as the idea behind screensaver's actions and so her reason was that her father who was a huge enthusiast of supers who was killed because he was trying to get in contact with supers instead of going to a panic room that he had which so i said okay i agree with her he's a bit of an idiot in that sense because he basically got himself killed because he relied on superheroes too much but her reason for becoming screensaver was to kind of show the world that supers aren't great by enslaving the supers and trying to get them to do all these horrible things and it just to me it just didn't make that much sense in terms of her actions like if she was that angry all I can think is, why would she blame Supers? Like, it's not Supers' fault. Unless I'm completely mis misinterpreting her actions behind it, which 
could be true because everyone has a different interpretation of what someone's doing. Um, I guess another reason for her actions could be that she believed everyone relied too much on supers and that was just embodied by the fact that her father chose to wait for supers to come instead of actually going to a panic room that he actually had and would have saved him from robbers. Okay, actually, I've just completely contradicted myself. That sounds like what her motivation is. And her reason for enslaving the supers was to show that humanity didn't need them. Okay, yeah, okay. Now, her motivation now makes sense, I guess. But in comparison to Syndrome, to me, I feel like it's not as good a motivation or even not as good a villain as Syndrome was in the first film. Because not only... Well, this is a big thing with um, screen slaver in this in general. I predicted straight away who the villain was going to be. I was like, I turned to my sister, who I was with um, at the cinema, and just went, it's going to be the sister. She's going to be the villain. And I, mean, I then did also say, if it's not going to be her, it's going it's to be the billionaire boy, Prince, uh, Winston, I think his name was now. God, I've got rid of the Wikipedia page now, so I don't even know if I'm getting these names right. Um, and when it turned out to be her, I was I was a little kind of left lukewarm in that sense that I was able to guess it so easily, so it wasn't as interesting. Whereas with Syndrome, the moment it was revealed that he was the little boy that Mr. Incredible was, was a bit of a dick to, it was a shocking moment like you didn't expect it to be this kid from so long ago like that there was no reason for us to think it was them and because of that experience from the first film i feel like that's why the villain for this one wasn't as impressive to me as anyone else's villain that is anyone else's one as the previous villain of syndrome but literally other than that I absolutely loved this film. It is, I, I'd say, other than the villain aspect, I preferred this film to the first one. Um, I re recommend it to everyone who hasn't seen it 100%. And I'm just going to give an overall of the fact that there was great animation, so much character growth from the first film to this film. And just overall, it was an incredibly great film. Um, so I would like to thank you all for tuning in either in SoundCloud or YouTube to another segment of A Healthy Dose of Fran and I will see you guys on the flip side. Uh, have a good weekend or week and I'll see you then. Bye.